And so please turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. How many of you have ever had to put something together that came with an instruction manual to tell you how to do it? Anybody ever have to do that? Yeah, how many of you looked at it, looked at the instruction manual and said, I don't need that instruction manual. Anybody ever done that? How many times did you end up with extra screws and extra things? No, James used every one. It may not be where it went, but he used it. <laughs> That's right. We, uh, what is going on here is uh, this is it for Christianity, believe it or not. This is not a series of disconnected little sayings. You know, you may have heard uh, uh, phrases or you may have heard sermons on each little phrase that had nothing to do with the other. I want you to know something. There is a process that's going on here in Matthew chapter 5 that I do not want you to miss. It's very important because Jesus is uh, laying out uh, how Christianity works. And so before we jump into that, let's read our verses. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began teaching them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing this morning. And I pray as we spend time with this first few verses of this message that you laid out, that you delivered. I pray and ask you to give us spiritual understanding. ask you to open our eyes. ask you to equip us for the encounters that you've laid before us this week. We look forward to engaging with you and seeing your hand move around us and in our lives. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we talk about brokenness, we're going to talk about our spirit, we're going to talk about our mourning, and then we're going to talk about our gentleness. And so we begin with your spirit or our spirit, Jesus it's an interesting setting that we have here. When Jesus sees the crowds, he withdrew from the crowds to deliver this particular message. You know, there were times where Jesus spoke to the crowd and then left, not here. So he withdraws from them. He withdraws from the crowd to the mountain. His disciples follow and he begins to teach the disciples. And so... It's interesting how this development. He takes those who have made a commitment to follow him and invests this in them. So this is not for the general casual interested person that might wonder about Jesus. This is for those who have committed their lives to following him. Jesus is about to teach them the process of discovering their new life in Christ. We've heard that all of our lives. We've heard that in church. We've heard that you're a new creation in Christ when you come to faith in Him. We've heard that when He saves you, all things become new. All things, uh, the old things pass away and all things become new, right? And we've all heard that. Very few of us know what that actually means. This is the process 
of what happens when we start, we come alive in Christ after we've come into a relationship with him. And so he takes this. We learn here from this passage as we walk our way through it that it doesn't come from trying harder. How many of you ever tried harder to be a good Christian in your life? You ever been to those revivals? You go down there and you make your commitment and you go, Woo, I feel so much better. And then a week later, you're like, oh man, I'm right back where I was. You ever done that? January 1, I'm going to, I have a new lease on life. It's a new year. We're going to start things right. January 15th, we're back where we were. So trying harder doesn't work. We would all agree with that, right? Because it hasn't worked yet. So how, how does this work? What's, if, listen, if something is true, it's true every time, right? I don't trip sometimes and float up. I trip and I fall down every time. Truth is always true every time. And so if we've tried things and they haven't worked, we can't keep going back and doing the same thing and expecting different results. Somebody said that was insanity. But as Christians, we do that a lot. So we're going to walk through this. Watch this. He tells them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, what's the word blessed mean? You know, we talk about blessings. And we think blessings is another word that means more. More money, more happiness, more property, more investments. And that's not what blessed means. And so when... It's sad because that has been so accepted in the Christian realm today that we have to go back and define it so that we don't misunderstand what's being communicated. The word blessed, as it's used here and as it's used throughout Scripture, the word blessed refers to spiritual insight. It refers to spiritual insight, seeing what God is up to around you. Because believe it or not, God is up to things in your life and in the lives of people around you. And it's no accident on what you're going through and what they're going through. And God is equipping us to be used in their, in their situation. And so here, we're going to dig into it. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, when you think of the term poor, when we think of the term poor, no matter how we apply that word, what does it mean? It means that it's lacking something, right? Whether it's money, you use it a lot for when there's money. I'm poor today. I don't I can't go out to eat with you. Unless you're buying them. So I'm poor. Or we talk about it as a job that was done. That's a poor job. It lacked effort. It lacked quality. You ever was told this as a child? Well, that's a poor excuse. It was lacking something. And so when he's talking about the poor in spirit, he's talking about those who are lacking something. And so as you break this out, watch this. The poor in spirit have begun the process 
of realizing they're not enough. My, if, I'm, if I look, because a lot of people are pretty confident. We want confidence in this life, don't we? We want to become. That's not how it works with the Lord. And so the poor in spirit, we're looking at our own spirit and saying that we're poor. I'm lacking something. And when we come to the place where we realize that we are not enough, that I am insufficient in my own effort, in my own trying, in my own abilities to do what God has called me to do, we are told this. God begins to show you what he's doing around you, which is the kingdom of heaven. You see how this starts to work together. So when I say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this thing for God. You ever said that? I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to make these great advancements for God. And sometimes they'll work out. You ever had one not work out? <laughs> I have. Expect this big thing, you're, you're getting all this plan. And you spent no time in prayer. You spent no time asking God what he really wants. And we're going to go out and make it happen for God. We fill in busyness. When we feel like there's something lacking in our relationship with the Lord, don't we? We just get busier. We do more church. We do more uh, physical stuff for the Lord. We, want, we feel like we've got to go witness more. We just, gotta, we just start to do stuff instead of being led. <laughs> but bless you. But he won't show you what's going on until you realize you're not enough. And so he's pulling these guys aside that he committed their lives to them. And he says to them, blessed is the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. So as you start to decrease, as you start to get out of the way, I'm going to let you see what I'm up to. Isn't that cool? No, I want him to show me anyway. That's what we grow up with in America. But what he's trying to do is free you. He's trying to free you of your self-confidence. He's trying to free you of the things that you are relying on that are not of him. It's funny how this parallels our class today. And if you want to see what God is doing... You have to go back and realize within you, you're not enough. Seeing the spiritual work happening in your lives and the lives of those around you is a gift from God. So watch what happens next. He talks about our spirit here, now about our mourning. Next he said, blessed are those who mourn. Now remember how we've defined blessed. Spiritual insight. Eyes to see what God's doing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Who are people who mourn? Have you ever asked yourself these questions in reading through this? We just think people that are mourning... And then they get the 
Well, who mourns? We mourn people who died, right? Mourning goes with death. We don't mourn people who are alive. We either rejoice or loathe them. <laughs> but we don't mourn them. There's a death that's taken place. And so what happens is, as you go back, watch this all ties. I'm not enough. So God starts, when I realize that, and I come before him and I say, I'm not enough, he begins to show me what he's doing. When I go through the path of brokenness, <coughs> and I die to myself, I can now live unto God, as the verse says. That's the next step from realizing that I'm not enough. I have to let that go. And I die to that. I die to my confidence. How many of you have ever surrendered something to God? How many of you was something you didn't want? We do that all the time. Come on. Y'all looking at what? You surrender your weaknesses? Anybody surrender their weaknesses to God? That's so nice of you to give God all of your weaknesses. How wonderful. How many of you have surrendered to God what you consider your greatest strength? And a hush fell over the crowd. You know why? Because we don't want to give that up. Because our confidence is tied to it. But if my confidence is tied to anything but Jesus Christ, then I'm in bad shape, folks. These are people who are following. And if I find hope and confidence anywhere other than Him, I'm misguided. And so I realize I'm not enough. I'm now mourning. I've died to myself. When I do that, <laughs> I'll receive comfort. Because when you go before God, broken, God, His whole point in brokenness is to help pick up the pieces and fashion you the way He wants. That's where the comfort of God comes. Because when we mourn, we kind of have lost hope in a way. Because it's gone. They're gone. It's gone. Whatever it is, it's gone. We've lost hope. And he said, no, you're not without hope. And so God enters in at this point and comforts us. Aren't you glad that we have a God that's touched by the feelings of our weaknesses? He's not some staunch, elderly, white-haired, white-bearded gentleman sitting up on a throne in heaven. <coughs> I sure hope Mark makes it through this. We'll see what he's made of. He's right there with me. Walking with me every step. Y'all remember the old, and I, and I probably need to rephrase that. 
Y'all remember the old footprints plaque? We've all seen that, right? You know what I realized? That plaque is misleading. Jesus doesn't walk beside us. He walks. And we live and move and breathe and have our being in him. There should always be only one foot set of footprints in the sand. His. He doesn't sustain you and just pick you up when you need it. He is our life. We have no life apart from him. I'm sorry if you have that on your wall. I just ruined it. But the truth is always true, right? Amen? Amen. There's a lot of things. We were talking about this in class. I don't know why. Maybe this is just a rehash of the class. About all the things we believed that weren't biblical. <laughs> and what does that look like? When we start to be confronted with God's word. Because our footprints should be in lockstep with his. Not on our own, with him kind of supporting me. That's not how it works. Listen, those who mourn are responding to a death. When you come to the place that you give all confidence in your ability to manage life, then and only then have you died to yourself. Not until. You want me to read that definition again? When. You come to the place where you give up all confidence in your ability to manage life, you've died to yourself. Then he'll comfort you. Then God moves. When there's nothing left of you that you have confidence in, then you'll be comforted by him, revealing your hope in him. In the life he planned for you. That's how he reveals it. But you've got to get out of the way first. Well how come? Well let me tell you how come. Just from me. If I still have some confidence. That I can make something happen for God. Or I can do this thing for God. Or I can. Create something that is. That moves hearts. And God does a work. Who's going to take credit for that inside? I am. And then what I'm really doing is taking credit for the hand of God at work. And God will share his glory with no one. Why would we ever want to take credit for what God's doing? I just want to be there to participate. See, the cross, you want to know what's about you? The cross was about you. When Jesus went and died on the cross, that was for you. And that was for me. That's the event in history that was about us. And we carry that message to a lost and dying world that needs to find their hope. When you surrender your life to Christ, you surrender part of it, all of it, when you come to salvation. We do all of it, but do we? We surrender the destiny part. 
Right? And that's what we ask people. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven to find out if they're saved? Is that the best question we can be asking? Have you ever thought of that? I did when I was talking with youth, when students. I used to be a student pastor. I stopped asking that question. You know the question I asked them? Tell me about your relationship with Christ. What does that look like? Some of them would answer truths about Jesus in the Bible. And I said, that's true, but what does it look like? Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes in to sup with us, that He'll lead us into all truth, He'll convict us of sin. And if those things aren't happening in your life, maybe you're not saved. The worst thing I can do is give you false hope. This is the process that happens when God wants to use somebody. This is not just a bunch of nice sayings that teach us how to be good people. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about the transformation of your life. This is the secret that you have been hoping for your whole Christian life. And it begins by you dying. We have to die to be comforted. The last thing he leaves us with today is our gentleness. See, after having gone through the, the death to self process, you'll come out more gentle. You know why that's true? It's because this is the natural come across for those who are not all about themselves. They're more receptive and are becoming used to being used to being led. How many of you just love how many of you know somebody that's arrogant? Right? How many of you love to hang out with them? How many of you secretly avoid them? It's a secret. If we don't want anything to do with them, why would God? Isn't it arrogant to think that I can handle my own life? After Jesus died to give me life? And give it to me abundantly? John 10.10 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you might have life and have it. Is that how you would describe your Christian life? Anybody? Somebody? Abundant? I'm living the abundant life. If Jesus came to die to give that to you, why are we not experiencing it? That ought to be a question that eats away at the very fabric of your being until you realize that it's Jesus who is our life. Doesn't come to make our life better, but becomes to be our life. And you want to talk about abundant, the outflow of, this, of the Holy Spirit of God 
through the life of Christ in you, bringing you alive? That all would give us goosebumps. You ought to go to church because you love it, not because you're checking a box off. You ought to share Christ because he saved you. That's why when I'm witnessing to somebody, I don't tell them who I am. You know what? Well, you're a pastor. You have to. I don't have to. I have to because I'm a Christian. Has he saved me? And if me doing this prevents you from being saved, I'll stop doing this. We all should say amen. I know you don't want to, and I thank you for that. <laughs> but their salvation is important. Jesus laid his life down for it. Shouldn't we too? Gentleness is the opposite of arrogancy. It is arrogant to think that I can live my own life. That I can handle anything that comes. Anybody here ever needed a second hand or a third hand? You ever wonder why God only made us with two hands instead of four? Has anybody ever wondered that but me? Like when you need, you like, if I had a third hand, I could get this. Maybe I'm the only one who wonders weird things like that. The reason is we need each other. We need him. And gentleness... Listen, the reason that we become gentle is because it's a natural come across for those who are not all about themselves. They're more receptive and are becoming used to being led. You can't be led when you think you got all the answers. Anybody ever here been that kid? You knew everything, parents don't know nothing. Luckily that never happened to me. That was me. Two years of it. It was awful. Only to discover I knew nothing. And I know less now than I did then. <laughs> you, you're not gentle when you're, when you're all about you. Gentleness is attractive to the Lord and man. You ever know gentle people you just kind of want to be around them because you don't you don't have to protect yourself it opens see what happens is God's preparing you to be used in the lives of others because now that you're becoming gentle others are wanting to lean in and you'll see that to be true doors and things that you tried to, to bust down don't bust down they now fit we share stuff with people that we perceive as safe, don't we? If you ever shared something with somebody that is the office gossip? Anybody ever done that? No, we avoid them because they're going to go tell it, right? It's the person you just thought of. But we have that friend that's held some of our secrets that we trust. And we feel safe offloading. That is where God can work. When we get past the show. And we get to the heart. 
You see how God's preparing us and equipping us to be used in the lives of others? This is the process. It's, there's more to this, but we don't, we're not going to be able to get into all of it today. So people's guard starts to come down. Now listen, you be very careful here. You need to make sure you're walking in the spirit, listening to him, and you keep people's confidence. You don't share it or blow it. Because if God grants you that, that's a gift from him. And he's about to use you. You're on the, you're on the precipice of being used by God. Doors begin to open. They could not until you reach this place. And so we're told that we'll inherit the earth. See, we can't receive until what we receive is not about us. But we think, yeah, I earned it. It's given to us because we know it's not for us, it's for Him. I want you to know something. I'm going <laughs> to. This church does not want your money. You know why? Because you don't have none. The earth and the fullness thereof belong to who? The Lord. He can provide whatever He wants. He gives us an opportunity to do that, to participate in obedience. So, we think we have money, but we don't have any money. This is his money to manage. Not 10% of it, 100% of it. Everything you have. We have these things that we believe in, that we think, and we've held for years. You ever heard this? The tithe belongs to the Lord. You ever heard that before? Anybody ever heard that? Yes or no? Yes. yes. You know, <laughs> I'm getting in trouble. Don't turn me off, Danny. You know what it says in Malachi? That you've robbed God of the tithes and offerings. That's more than 10%. If I've robbed God of the offerings, that's more than 10. Hey, like this sermon. But, 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 but. 100% of it's his. Why don't we come to this? You know, I can remember when I was 16 still. And it seems like a blink ago. And for some of you, it was a blink ago. But I'll tell you, life goes fast, doesn't it? You turn around one day and you're celebrating your 50th birthday. And some of you are going, man, I wish I was still 50. And it doesn't matter how old you are, you feel old, right? When, you're, when you turn 30, you're like, oh, I'm old at 30. And then you go, when I leave my 30s, I'm like, man, 40's old. And then you tell somebody that's 70, and they're like, <laughs> you text that PFT, by the way. 
Just so you know. It's all perspective. Right? We would say that. So if we believe that it's all perspective, why don't we get God's perspective for a change? Right? Let's ask him. How do you see this going down? What's happening? Why are things going this way? What's up? What are you up to? There's times he'll lay it out for you. And there's times he'll say, trust me. And there's times he won't say anything. But our gentleness comes from getting out of the way. What also happens here for you is you find yourself looking and listening for what God is doing. And he'll always deliver on what his plans are. If you really want to know what he's wanting to do, when the time comes for you to know it, he will absolutely show you. He'll absolutely show you. God doesn't... <laughs> Believe in us living in a mystery. I will tell you this. God will always deliver on his plans. Even if they're different than what you think. I had a friend. Who the Lord. He said the Lord told him to go pray. For this woman in the hospital. He said I'm going to heal her. I want you to go pray for her. Or she wasn't in the hospital yet. I wanted to go pray for her. He prayed for her and she went to the hospital. <laughs> that would seem to be the opposite, right? Then God told him, said, I want you to go pray for her in the hospital. I'm going to heal her. And he prayed for her in the hospital and she got worse and went to hospice. And then God told him, go pray for her. I'm going to heal her. And he went and prayed for her in hospice and she died. Then God lied to him. He asked God about that. It's a true story. He said, God, you told me, and I went and did what you said, because you said this, and she's dead. He goes, no, I healed her. She's whole today. Mm -hmm. See, we think about things in terms of what we think and how things we think they should work, and God doesn't work in this realm that we're controlled by. He works beyond it. Don't you want a God that's beyond this? And don't think just because you think something that that's the answer. we got to trust him and just do whatever he asks us to do. Remember, gentleness. You know where else gentleness shows up? Gentleness, because this is the first time we see a characteristic. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. So if we're going to walk in the Spirit, remember, okay, you guys are looking at me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Y'all were supposed to fill in that blank. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Apparently quietness is a fruit of the spirit also. It's a part of the, the, the fruit of the spirit, the spirit of God living through you. He will not do that until you're out of the way. He won't. And so as you begin to walk in the Spirit, you're going to be used by the Spirit. So, as we learn the lessons of brokenness, we discover a few things. 
If you're going to be used by God, He wants all of you. What we kind of want, and I mean, I can't speak for you, even though sometimes I try. What we kind of want is we want God to come into our life and make our life better. And give us hope and make us better people. So we're nicer and we talk gooder. And we do better things. And people go, ooh, they're so spiritual. He prays so good or she prays so good. You know what? I just want you to pray. <laughs> Don't be comparing yourself to other people. That's what we want from and God is sitting there and he's going, that's not what I'm offering. We're buying something that's not being, it's like an infomercial that you, you order your new Ginzu knives and you get a food dehydrator. You know, this is not what I, this is not what I wanted. If you bought those two things, don't feel bad. There's others in that category with you. He's giving you life. He's not making your life better. He's giving you the better life. The life he planned for you from the foundation of the world. Just like the works that he planned for you. Do you realize God's word says that? Does everybody realize that God's word says that there are works he planned for you from the foundation of the world? Yes or no? No? Yes. Do you want to know what those are? If God has this master plan... And I'm supposed to be doing this. Don't I want to know that so I can do that? Does that not make sense? This is how to find that out. Because when Mark is not about doing something for God and creating something. And, you know, it's really funny because I'm, okay, let's just put it out there. I was a youth pastor for years. I, did, I played games and stuff with, with kids here in this area. They loved it. Can we do that? Can we do that? I moved to Georgia to finish school. I played it there. And those kids said, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And when I was in that place, everything went that way. You know why? Because Mark was learning to die. It's not about Mark. Those were the things I put my confidence in that God was stripping out of my life so I could discover what he really was up to. Until you're willing to let go and give him everything, you're not going to get there. Is there anything in your life that God can't have? What about your spouse? No, no I, I give him that, yeah. What about your money? That's, uh, yeah, you can have that. What about your hopes and dreams? Well, we've got to talk about that. 
What about your life? I knew a nine-year-old boy who prayed and said, Lord, I'll give my life for you. And you know what he heard back? You will give your life for me. And he did. And that boy is ministering today from the grave because he was willing to lay it all down. Your impact, the impact that God, listen, imagine this. Just this group here. That you may have been here a hundred times. This may be the first time you walk through those doors. But I, this is who we're talking. We're talking to each other in the Lord today, right? Let's just take this group. Just us. Not as New Life Baptist Church. Not, but as God's people. And what if just this group of people said, we're going to lay it all down. We're not going to hold anything back. Whatever it is, it's yours. If you want it, or if you don't want it, you can leave it or take it. But we want to be there, and we want to be used by you. Can you imagine the impact just this group could have? Can you imagine the understanding and communication we have with each other? There'd be no time to worry about the color of the carpet because we'd be worrying about the salvation of souls. We'd be worried about those and brokenhearted with those who are hurting. We would see them as God sees them. We would see what his hand is doing in this community and we would be where we needed to be and we would withhold on stuff that was man-made. Spiritual insight is found on your knees, not by trying harder. I know, and if you don't go willingly, he will force you there. You know why? Because he loves you that much. One. Two. Things we've learned, we discovered. Problems and difficulties will come into your life to tear away the confidence you have in anything except him. Do you realize this? The stuff you're good at could be your biggest stumbling block. The stuff you're good at could be your biggest stumbling block. Because that's where your confidence lies. And not in Him. So we have to deal with that. We've got to bring that before Him. Three, if you look for God in every situation, you will find him. But you must come from a place willing to follow, not just understand. You ever prayed that and said, you know, God, I just want to understand what's going on. And then God not show you? I've been there. You know, if I could just understand what you're up to, that would, uh, I'd be so relieved. So now, my confidence comes into my own understanding, not in the God who knows it all. And we wonder why we don't hear his voice when we say that. I'm just as guilty. I'm just like, this is something I'm learning too. 
Our willingness to follow is what determines our ability to hear. Have you ever said this? Have you ever asked your kids to do something they didn't do it? Do you ever wonder why did I even say anything? Because it doesn't even happen. Parents, and the parents all said, What's the point? We're the same way. He's our father. But if you know your kid's going to do something, you know somebody's going to do something, you tell them, right? You tell them. You ever had those friends that you know would do it? If you even whispered it or had an idea, like, man, I was kind of thinking about red velvet cake today. And in like two hours, he'd bring you a red velvet cake. You ever had friends like that? You're like, no, but I'm looking. <laughs> well, there's, I'm going to tell you, this room's full of people like that. So you've got to be careful. I've never met a group of such amazing people as the people in this room today. I'm blessed to know every one of you. And so we only say the things we know that are important for people who are willing to do it. That's how it works with the Lord too. If you want him to speak to you, be willing to follow, not just understand. Understanding is about you. Being confident. If my confidence is in, in understanding it, my confidence is not in him. Sometimes being willing to follow means that you'll not get all the information you want. Because to be honest, we probably couldn't handle if we understood everything God understood about something. Right? You know, I was reading this story about this girl named Maria. And she'd broken up with this boy named Jimmy. And then uh, she'd simply told him she didn't want to be with him anymore. But a year had gone by, and she wrote Jimmy this letter. She wrote, Dearest Jimmy, I've not ceased to think about you every day. You're an amazing man. You were the joy of my life. I hope one day we can be together again soon. She signed her name and she wrote P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. You know, I think sometimes that's how we approach God. We want to say all the right things. We want to look right. But our heart is on something else, on something we want, instead of what he wants. When our heart centers on him and what he wants, there's no holding back. I can't wait to get into the rest of this. I'm, I'm, it's hard, really hard for me to stop. Because this, is, I, mean, I, I sincerely hope all of you come back. This is the key you're looking for. It will unlock the hand of God in your life.
we pass over it all the time, I hear it on sermon after sermon after sermon. These stu every step in here is linked. It's a process of how God reveals himself in and through us and brings us alive. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. 